What do CEOs need to know about sales these days? A lot. Outdated sales strategies and tactics plague most companies today. Listen to what innovative CEOs and experts have to say about how to change all that with Sales Talk for CEOs. Welcome to Sales Talk for CEOs. You know, it's always fun for me to meet new CEOs and get them to come on the podcast because I just love to hear the stories. Well, today we're going to hear a really fun story about someone who was in big corporate, like a lot of you were before you started your companies, went to the startup world. Things didn't work out so well there. So he started his own company. Um, he's here with us all the way from Singapore, which is one of the places I really want to visit, and I've just got to make it there. Uh, so welcome, William Gilchrist, to the show. Hi, Alice. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Well, I'm, I'm delighted that this worked out. I know sometimes with the time zones, it gets pretty funky, but I'm really grateful to have you here. And so um, you are the CEO now of Consig, and you are the founder of that company. Tell us just a little bit about what Consig does. Well, um, yeah, so we are an outsourced sales and service company. Um, really effectively, Consig is a representation of, I guess, my entire resume, all the things I would have wanted as a salesperson, all the things I was frustrated with. I effectively just built a company to solve those issues that I have. So that's a, uh, at the end of the day, we just take contracts and we sell on behalf of our clients, primarily in, in the technology space. Excellent. All right. So we're going to rewind way back to 2017 when you started the company. What were you doing right before that? And how did you get the idea to start this company? So I left uh, a big kind of corporate company, a uh, very well-known company, and I was on the sales floor and I went into the startup world for a while. And what I realized was that when you're in the startup world, you kind of have to do things yourself. There's not a department that can handle certain things. There's not this person who can solve this problem with your computer and things like that. Everything's kind of more bootstrapped. Uh, so you're kind of your own little entrepreneur in the startup space. Yeah. Um, and then I went to a consulting firm. Um, and from there, I learned a little bit more about just kind of how uh, companies interact with each other and just really kind of the, the harsh realities of um, not being in corporate, right? There, there really isn't a, a, an HR system, right? No. So it, it wasn't pretty, uh, as we talked about on camera. Um, and thus, that kind of inspired me to... Um, start the business and this was literally right at the new year of 2017. Um, I had just got back from Macau um, and I, I, I had that experience and I thought about it and I said, you know, there's so many things that as a salesperson I would have loved to, you know, have as support or, you know, there's so many, you know, more places that we can take a lot of these businesses from a, from a sales perspective. And I said, well, why am I constantly looking for it? There's no app for this. There's no website for this. There's, you know, I'm talking to all my peers. They're complaining about the same things. Why not just start something that focuses on those particular areas, which is revenue generation? So that's what we do. Very good. So on your own, you don't have any co-founders, right? No. So you started out day one and you said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Tell us about that. 
It well, I mean, I guess I do have a partial co-founder, which is my dog Milo. Um, she oh, was yes. on the sofa with Very me. important. Definitely emotional support. Um, she did a lot. Made me uh, walk around the the condo all the time while I was kind of crafting this whole thing. But I was in a weird state where um, I knew that this was something that was a need, but I didn't know how to necessarily put it into words and and kind of craft it together as an outsourced kind of sales force um, kind of thing. And um, what was going on at the time is that I was reading, very controversial, by the way, I was reading Eric Prince's Civilian Warriors about uh, Blackwater, right? And it was a story about how he was the Navy, he was a Navy SEAL and ended up being, you know, part of the most elite kind of uh, military faction. And um, he leaves, he starts a, a training group and so it starts to like train soldiers so that was his business for a while and then he ended up taking contracts on behalf of the government and as i was kind of going through all of that book i was like you know that's very interesting what about like if i just thought about it as a sales mercenary group right what if i was going and talking to big corporates governments startups and saying hey look do you want more revenue everybody does um but you know, do you know how you're getting revenue and can you get revenue effectively? And that was something that I ended up focusing on for the first year, which was really getting the narrative so that people could understand what we were and why we were doing it and why it was valuable. And along the way, um, I got super lucky by bringing in um, now my chief revenue officer, but at the time he was my chief operating officer, Joe Flayton. Uh, and he worked with me heavily to kind of push this forward. He's kind of, I'm more like the dreamer salesperson. And he's the person that says, okay, look, we cannot build a spaceship with a straw wheel. I'm like, yes, we can. So then he's the one that got to help uh, the organization run as well. So um, that's kind of how we put it, put it all together. All right. So you mentioned that you were out talking to people about what their needs were around sales, because look, yes, we all need more revenue, right? Rarely, if ever, do you come across a company that says, oh, no, no, please, we have enough, right? So, uh, but we know that all companies struggle with revenue generation in, in some aspects. They may have a group of sellers, half of them are doing well and half of them aren't, right? Or they may struggle with the lead generation portion of it. Uh, they just simply don't know how to get those conversations started. And of course, things are a lot different today than when I was out selling where you could actually get someone to pick up the phone or you could actually stop in and see someone. That was a long, long time ago in the, in the 90s. Things are so different now. So um, people often hire and the sellers can't perform the way they thought they could, right? And they require more training and more product knowledge and more sales training and, you know, just more infrastructure, more things. And like, like you mentioned, when you go to work for a startup, you realize, oh my gosh, there's no one to even help me with my computer. You do everything yourself. And so you kind of learn maybe how to do things a little bit better and differently. But um, with this being a problem, I'm sure it wasn't very hard to get your first clients. So tell us about how you did that. Obviously, you were doing the selling because in the beginning, it was just you, right? Um, so tell us how you uh, found your first clients and how you landed them and, and how it all worked. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. It was a cybersecurity company uh, that was looking to hire me as their vice president of sales. And I had this idea of, I mean, I had this little pink logo, which is a little pink logo. That's all I had at the time. And I had the concept 
And I was sitting at a cafe to do the job interview, but I knew I was not going to take the role. And um, I interviewed and immediately they were like, look, we want to hire you right now. And I said, uh, how about this? You can have me as your VP of sales, but not really. How about you just hire my company that I just started? And they kind of laughed about it and they did it. And um, we ended up working together for years and um, they ended up getting series A and B. I mean, we started from literally my company being brand new and theirs being semi new. So it was only like five people at the time. Now they're hundreds of employees. They are $80 million. I mean, so it's amazing to see kind of both of our firms kind of from that one coffee meeting kind of grow itself. And that was my first client. I'll never forget the first check that I got. Um, 90% of it went into uh, getting manpower <laughs> to service it. But it, I, I never forget that feeling. Oh, that's great. So how did you leverage that into your next customer? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a salesperson at heart. So when I said I can make this money off of something that I came up with on a cocktail napkin with my dog next to me, <laughs> that means I can do it a lot more. <laughs> so uh, from there, um, it was just on the ground selling. I mean, with a name like Consig, um, which is a hidden, a hidden name, right? That's a secret name. That's a name that means a lot to me and some of the leaders in the organization. Uh, it does have a special meaning. And... Um, kind of putting all this together, it was really difficult to be able to um, get the market interested, right? You have a pink logo, a name like Consig, we're, you know, we're an outsourced sales company, but, you know, what's the difference between you guys and a BPO or a call center and all these other groups? So we had to do a lot of uh, networking, a lot of uh, groundwork and field sales, really. Uh, surprisingly, in the early stages of the business, cold calling wouldn't have worked because they needed to understand who we were and they needed to understand much more about who we were. So I focused a lot on Singapore and Malaysia and also Thailand as well. So I did a lot of kind of, I was always pretty much out of the house. Uh, I had a backpack consistently, um, always in every Starbucks imaginable, uh, every boutique cafe. I was at every happy hour and not just pushing the brand, but really just trying to understand where people were coming from and then saying, hey, look, well, you know, if you're everybody has a sales problem, everyone. So it's really easy to get into sales conversations and to, you know, have those conversations about hey, by the way, I have a company that works with companies to do this or to help them with this. So how quickly did you start to bring on enough customers that you were like, oh, my goodness, well, I cannot continue to be the only person selling and do all the sales for them, right? I'm assuming at first you were also being their salesperson, right? So you were selling for your own company, selling for them. And then how did you move from that to having some other people to do some things with you? Probably about uh, four months, which is very short. It's very short. Uh, I must say that that's not typical time frame at all. Um, it should be probably a year plus sometimes. Um, but the reason why it ended up going so fast was at this particular time, there were a lot of companies, particularly in Singapore, that were getting very easy VC money, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of them did not have any infrastructure. So I kind of found a sweet spot by saying, hey, look, I mean, the, the, the same, I guess you could say, um, 
opinions that I had about people having uh, slide decks, but no infrastructure and getting large amounts of venture capital money. That was something that I was just a joke about that ended up being the one thing that drove my pipeline and actually grew my business because I would come in and pretty much say, I know you don't have anything. <laughs> Can we work together to try to help build your revenue? So kind of an interesting flip. So that's the reason why it only took about four months. Wow. So that was, you know, really timing. I mean, a lot of times we talk about startups, right? We talk about product market fit, which of course is very, very important, but timing is essential too. And I don't think we ever talk quite enough about timing. And it sounds like there were enough of these startups getting money just happened to be good timing for you that it went quite that fast. You probably weren't expecting it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was, I, I had no idea that was a sweet spot because I always avoided those companies like the plague because I was like, oh, look, you guys don't have anything. Why would you get, you know, $5 million off of an, an idea that you haven't really. Well, it is hard to believe, isn't it? That people are just throwing money at some of these startups. Let's face it. It's hard for us to believe that they do it. Oh, I mean, it's 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 shocking because one of the, the 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 big hammers in the entire argument of investment is what is their actual revenue generation strategy? Because I mean, if you look at Cary Institute, ninety two percent of all founders and CEOs have never been on a sales floor. So you're going to give That's someone great. funds, assuming that the product's going to sell itself. It's fascinating, right? Um, without investing directly in a sales strategy. So we were that sales strategy. Yeah, that probably gave the investors some level of calm also. Like, oh, great. You hired to someone to sell. Good idea. <laughs> uh, although it is amazing sometimes that you think maybe the investors don't think that somebody would have to sell something. But okay, so you're going along now. You're probably a year or two in. And you're still doing the selling and how is the company growing and, and what changed? Well, I would say 2018 was a very fascinating year because that's when we started getting attention from a lot of larger companies across Southeast Asia, which is something that I had never thought of, right? Originally, my goal was just to help startups get more global presence, right? So we were going to help startups in Singapore or in Southeast Asia kind of go outside of Southeast Asia, we can sell you in New York and things like that. Um, 2018 though, we started getting attention from a lot of SMEs, but really more high tier SMEs. So um, the, the projects were more complex and also the, the, the demands in terms of coverage. So we had to grow quite rapidly to service those clients. And so we were kind of like riding on the growth trajectories of a lot of these SMEs in particular which is how we were able to kind of grow um, within a year and a half. Okay. So how did they find you? Like, were you doing anything in the marketplace to get your name out there? Was it word of mouth? How, how are you generating all these leads from these we, we larger were, companies, more mature companies, right? We were everywhere. Um, I was literally, I mean, I was speaking in tech in Asia, the conference. Um, we were doing networking. I would be on calls from... 5 a.m. until midnight, then I would rest a little bit and then have some coffee and a Red Bull and then be back on calls. I was I never missed a single meeting. I was constantly doing outreach emails just to grab a coffee with people. And one thing that I noticed that was really good for, for the business was we we're more like a law firm 
than something that you could actually put into a particular box, right? So law firms kind of operate with their clients on a very tailored, bespoke basis. So I needed to meet with people. I needed to have those conversations, generate my own leads through whether it be LinkedIn or emailing or calling all the basic lines of communication. Um, Not much advertising in terms of ads at that time, because we would have been seen as a BPO. We would have been seen as a call center, not as uh, a company that could probably tell you that you might have a bad idea, you might have a bad strategy, right? And that was our kind of claim to fame was that we would tell you the real, we would literally say, this actually doesn't make any sense. Here's something that could make sense. Are you open to that? So that requires a coffee, that requires a dinner, that requires a lot more kind of street work, I guess you could say. So what were some of the challenges moving from this kind of startup you know, focus where you were, you understood what was going on there and they had no infrastructure for sales in place. So it was easy to swoop in and go, Hey, here's what you do. We get a list, we go out, we call these people, we meet these people. This is how it works. Right. And then to move upstream, right. To these more mature and larger, uh, companies, what were some of the challenges you found there? (laughs) That they were the exact same. (laughs) Um, (laughs) that's probably one of the moments of like shock, right? Where, you know, you can have, and no one ever believes me. There was only five people in the room uh, on Consig's side. There is a very well-known company that will remain nameless. And the vice president of sales didn't know what a CRM was. Oh, yeah. I couldn't believe it. And this is a very large sales organization within a very large, or, you know, corporate. And I remember leaving that meeting and saying, this, this is an interesting space that we're in right now, because maybe most people don't have this figured out, right? And maybe most organizations are just existing. Large organizations, there you, you find people that are just existing to survive in the organization. So they're doing just their bit in order to hit whatever their job description does, just so that they don't either get fired or that their team doesn't look bad. But they're not really trying to make anything happen. Startups, they're trying to make everything happen and they may or may not have the resources, but at the same time, a lot of times they're just trying to tell a story that's good for their investors or tell a good enough story to where someone buys them so they can exit, right? So on both sides, it's usually like the same person just sitting with a different jersey, depending on if they're in a corporate or if they're in a startup. So one of the biggest shocks was there was no difference. We had the same challenges, the same lack of infrastructure, the same lack of materials. I mean, all the above. Well, I do think that founder-led companies that, you know, then get to be 10 or even 20 years old, right? They grew sort of organically and if they weren't on a mission to really learn how to build a world-class sales organization, they just kept doing things, right? And and the money kept coming in and they kept growing. So what do I need a CRM for? You know, we, we still keep our notes here, there, wherever, right? Um, and it's interesting to me because I do work with companies that are, you know, similar in size to what you're talking about, not the startups so much, but the companies I work with are usually 10 plus years old and uh, generally 10 plus million in revenues. But I, you know, like some of them, I call them my 20 year old startups because they act just like a startup, even though they're 20 years in and their sales processes are not, you know, they're not, they're not really 
there, it's sort of a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So it's always interesting to see how they got so far and how they did so well without having the infrastructure that would really help. But if they, a lot of them aren't venture backed or PE backed, so they didn't have to scale, right? If you are a startup and you have to scale because of your investors, you're going to have to get those processes in place fairly quickly, or you won't be able to scale. So it's always interesting to just kind of, you know, see these companies grow and how they got where they are without a lot of sales infrastructure. I mean, if they're in manufacturing, they have to have that infrastructure in place, but it's then they leave the sales side with no infrastructure. So it's so interesting. All right. So here you are now, uh, you know, it's seven years in, you're still doing most of the selling. You told me when we chatted prior. Um, so you still have a big role in sales and you've got lots of clients and lots of um, employees now. So let's talk about how sales goes now. How do your customers find you um, and how do you work with them? And is anyone helping you with the sales? Okay, wow. So I have to do a quick clarification because all my sales army, uh, Contact sales team globally, which she's referring to up doing all the sales uh, on behalf of Contact. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. I can see right. everyone like, what? <laughs> all the, all right, the right. He's not doing all the outsourced sales. Oh. He's still doing all the sales for his own yeah. company. So, yeah. No, I absolutely do have a partner in crime that's um, Joe Flayton uh, in Dallas. It's our chief revenue officer. Uh, he's covering kind of the North and South American and kind of more Western Europe section of the world. So we pretty much divided Earth. We just went on Google Earth and just like put a line and said, okay, this territory is yours. This territory is mine. And uh, we do our outreach and we are the primary um, sellers on behalf of the, of, of the business. And I think that that works really well for the style of business that we do, because more often than not, people would want to talk to, let's say, either the founder or the number one hire, right? In the organization, he was the first person in the door. So um, when we do what we do in such a kind of customized way, um, more often than not, I mean, I get a lot of people that say, you still take sales calls? I mean, even, you know, prospects that are coming in, they're like, that really was you on the email? Like, you still take sales calls? And I'm like, yeah, well, I made a pledge that, you know, if, if I'm physically able to do this, I will always speak to a prospect that's interested in, you know, in, in our business first. You will get to speak to me directly, so you'll know exactly what we're, what we are about, kind of the spirit of the business and you know, we'll go from there. So people are usually very, very shocked by that, but it goes a long way because they're aware that we do get our hands dirty. Everybody in the organization is yeah. a salesperson one way or the other, even our operations people, our research people, our marketing who set this up, right? Everybody's kind of a salesperson. Uh, once you're in Consig, you come in saying that you're one thing, but you leave a salesperson regardless. Yeah. Well, that's so important. And it's such a good mindset for a CEO to have and to always hire people who do have that mindset. I am part of the sales team. I may not do the cold outreach or close the deals, but I interface with a customer in some way. And the part that the role that I play is so important to our customers, right? So so I am in sales and I have the ability to open my network, make introductions. You know, everyone at the company has the ability to do that. And so I love that you have that mindset 
Um, believe it or not, I meet CEOs who don't. And I always ask them, well, you know, what do the other players besides your sales, your go-to-market team, what's their role in sales? What are those players doing to support sales? And a lot of times, as you know, it's a fight. You know, people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, these silos grow up and stuff, which we just don't really need. And they don't help our customers one single bit. So I'm happy, happy to hear that um, you have that mindset and that your team has that mindset as well. So when you are focused on the customer, we all know that good things happen. And when we do a great job for our customers and they're successful using what we sold them, right? Things are good. Yes. We have a lot of repeat business and we have people telling other people, right? So I would imagine that your business has grown through your outreach and your your partner in crime outreaching as well, your first hire. But tell us about referrals and other sources. You know, how do people come in? How does it flow into you sometimes? You know, so it's not just all outreach, right? No, absolutely. Um, well, networking was the biggest one, right? Yeah, more often than not, if people would say, hey, look, actually, I don't think we would need something like that, but we're in the back of their head. And months yeah. later, hey, we met at blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that's usually one way where we would just be visible everywhere. So yeah. we started to, you know, everybody has a sales challenge at some point and we would always get you know, an email or a quick call or a WhatsApp message that says, hey, didn't we talk about, don't don't you do outsource sales? I got a guy who just started a business, you know, and that, that happens all the time. Um, another one too is doing good work, right? Um, setting the right expectations. More often than not, we have a, a, a really good reputation of telling people the truth um, which is not very common, which is like, hey, look, this is what your pipeline really looks like. I know you forecasted this. That's not real. This is the reality. And shockingly, clients really appreciate that because what we say we're going to bring, we actually bring. Uh, we can shoot for the moon. We can shoot for, you know, your billion dollar forecast that you have. I mean, yeah, we're definitely going to fight tooth and nail to try to get there. But Right now you have about 2 million, <laughs> you know, and that's just a reality. So once they see our consistency there and our reports, uh, I think that also gives us a reputation in the market to be able to have other companies come to us and say, hey, you guys are pretty straightforward. You, you, really, you really told, you know, our friend over here at this company, you know, what happened and that ended up being, oh, that's so cool. You get a Sorry, I just realized that happened. It threw me off, sorry. Um, but, you know, once people hear those type of stories, we end up getting a lot of business that way. You right. can so one company tells the other what a great experience they had and somebody calls you. I mean, isn't that just the best feeling? I, I just, I love it when people, I say, well, how did you find me? And, oh, I was having dinner with so-and-so or we were having coffee and they said how much you helped the company. And I just, they said, I should talk to you. And I, it just makes you feel so good when a, a client has so much success that they're just, you know, willing to share that with others and tell them, you know, how great it was and then recommend you, right? I mean, it's such a good feeling. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even on a on another angle, I had someone uh, say, look, I was talking to um, one of your clients and the feedback was, William's going to tell you exactly what you don't want to hear. You need to call him now. And I thought that was a really funny reference because it's the truth, right? We're going to say exactly yeah. what you don't want to hear. 
but you probably want to talk to us because we're going to tell you what's actually there. So sometimes referrals come, you know, in various ways. Yeah, absolutely. So you have a big role in sales. You're really still doing founder-led sales. And what's what you might find interesting is that some of the CEOs I talked to who were founders and they're now seven, 10 years in, they were doing founder-led sales. Then they hired a sales team and built a sales organization and, you know, had, I don't know, three, four, eight, ten people on the sales team doing various different functions. And now they're back to founder-led again. And why, right? Because we find that a lot of times with our sellers, they just cannot get the doors open the way a founder can, the way a CEO title can. And like you mentioned, hey, I yes, I want to talk to you. Like people do want to talk to the CEO, right? They do want to talk to the leaders of a company. They want to talk to the founder. Um, but also you do get busy to a point where now you need some some help. So one of the things I've noticed is uh, some of the CEOs have hired some salespeople, but customer success people so that they can close these deals, but then someone can onboard them and care for them and continue on while they go out and close some more new deals. But then, you know, they show up again with at the highest level with those clients, you know, to make sure everything is, is going smoothly and to see what else they might need. Right. So it's kind of a, like a work in progress and the customers really feel cared for. So how do you do that at your company? Once you bring in these big um, customers and they need your sellers, your team of 60 or so sellers, you know, they need a couple of them to go out and sell for them. Then how do you onboard them and make sure that they're highly successful? So actually the structure that you mentioned where they would sell, um, they bring on a client and someone else on board. So we have an onboarding team. So they meet me first and uh, we walk through everything. We get through all the you know, service agreement and the budgeting, the plan, but then it goes into an ROI plan session. And that's done with our customer relations director and also our chief of staff. I'm present as well, but I'm not the lead. I'm actually on mute. So I always tell people I'm the fly on the wall. I'm there just as a, if you want to reference something that we spoke about, that you think is not you know connecting so during that roi plan that is the transition from let's say me into my broader organization for people to be able to see all the leaders across all the different departments that i have whether that be chief of staff customer relations customer success uh business development data marketing wherever whatever is needed right on that particular campaign the directors over those specific departments are actually present on that call so they really see that we kind of hone in and we show like look we are all looking at this conversation from different areas once they see that they tend to be pretty comfortable with understanding that I need to now go back and go do some more sales, <laughs> but at least they're able to kind of see that relationship. Okay, that's great. Yeah, because there's just no way you got to run your company. You're the CEO, you're doing the sales, right? And then these people have to get onboarded and integrated into the rest of the company, right? So, so that your team can do their job, right? So um, that sounds like it's running really well and you have a lot of successful customers. My gosh, the time is just like going by so fast here. So I want to just wrap up um, and ask you about what's coming next to your company. What are some big things that you're looking forward to as you grow? 
Well, um, we are looking for right now for 2024, we have a, a brand new infrastructure that we're doing. I mean, we, we do reorgs just to stay ahead of the game uh, every year anyway. This is around the reorg time, Q4. Um, in 2024, our big thing is going to be a lot of speaking engagements now. Um, so going, um, I'm going to be doing a lot of uh, talks in Europe and the Middle East and things like that. Um, I will be in the States also in a few days, actually. So a lot of happy hours. That's from a kind of a sales perspective. But as as a company, um, our position now is going to be kind of ahead of the narrative in terms of how people are using technologies. Um, we want to do a lot more um, blogging, a lot more podcasting, a lot more just content related to people kind of falling behind everybody can recognize a chat gpt email now right so we have to now all work together to try to you know show kind of the market how to utilize technologies and we think that that also is a nice starting point to be able to talk about how do you boost your revenue without using gimmicks and trends in order to do so so that's our new yeah. kind of push next year that sounds great. And the CEO being out there as the chief lead generator, like you are speaking, being on podcasts, writing on LinkedIn, those things, I, you know, I always advocate for those because, you know, people buy from people, not companies, right? They want to know who are you, right? And when they hear you speak, they get a good flavor for that. When they hear you on a podcast, they get a good feeling for that. And it just, I feel like it's its an overlooked way that a CEO can easily draw people to them. And um, I'm just uh, really pleased to hear that you're doing all of that. And I, I wish you good luck. Do let me know when you're in the States. And I don't know if you'll ever be in the West, but you know, maybe we'll get to actually meet in person. Of course, unless I get to Singapore, which I keep saying I'm gonna do uh, to visit my few friends there, so. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and we'll see you next week.